tell you what, there's something about hymns and spirituals that certainly make our hearts rise up to get a glimpse of our King. Yes? Amen? Uh, This is an interesting uh, topic to say the least, if I can get this thing working here, when it comes to the area of hope for everyday life. Um, No doubt you would agree that Christmas probably represents what is perhaps some of the In your remembrance, you've had many mornings you've experienced and the excitement that comes with Christmas and the gifts and the gift giving and and all those sorts of things. And as kids, you know, at least for me, I can say that I had a very difficult time with self-control. Some of you may know me more so than others. You know I can be a bit impulsive. And so that, um, even though I have more control now, back then it was certainly very little. And especially as a kid, you know, when it comes to the giving of gifts, you just want to, you see those gifts and you want to just tear those things open, even before Christmas Day. Uh, We had a very difficult time with self-control. We wanted to know what we were getting for Christmas. Before December 25th, you you say, what does it have to do with hope for everyday life? You'll you'll see for a second here. The problem was that our our gifts were wrapped up, right? (laughs) And so what's a child to do? What's a child to do? And so so while our parents were away on days... There are times when, around the Christmas times, when they were away often, you know, working, and we would be left at home, and me and my brother would stare at the presents in their bedroom closets with wonder and excitement. Well, too much staring and wonder leads to an incredible curiosity, and curiosity leads critters into tearing little tiny holes in the presents, trying to get a glimpse into what our parents bought us. And so you, (laughs) you may say... David, you absolutely spoiled your exuberance, and my response would be, absolutely not. I did not really spoil anything, because once we opened those gifts, we got to fully exercise our joy and experience. I didn't have have an idea of what we were getting, because I was a little cheater, you know, and (laughs) want a little tiny expression of joy, but we got to experience the full expression of that on Christmas Day of what our parents purchased for us out of their love for us. I'll never forget receiving our very own Nintendo Entertainment System, complete with the game Super Mario Brothers. You can imagine our excitement when we received those things, but for you, perhaps it was something else. And you remember in your your, uh, times of being uh, young, you remember those uh, gifts, uh, perhaps more so than others. You had one particular gift that you remember, perhaps, more so than any other gifts, and you were excited to receive those incredible gifts that your parents gave you. For me, we were unbelievers in those days, and so we didn't quite grasp the spiritual significance of Christmas to celebrate the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus coming to earth to take on flesh. Christ was and is our salvation gift to those who believe, yes. And so now that we are believers... In Jesus Christ, the Christmases we have now, I believe, have far more significance and sentiment than it ever had before because our understanding has changed, right? Much more deeper, much more profound. The older you you and mature, you grow in life. Christ was given as an offering for sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a gift that is, is it not? And so this morning we're going to be studying gifts, more specifically spiritual gifts. Put your tomatoes away because I'm going to say some things perhaps you may be in disagreement with, but I, my job here is to try to convince you of certain truths in Scripture. I'll do the best I can with that. Spiritual gifts do portray an aspect of hope for everyday life Spiritual gifts is something that is given to us from above. That's our theme. Hope for everyday life with an emphasis in spiritual gifts has been our theme for the year. And we just finished studying self-control from 2 Peter chapter 1. And in our series of hope for fruitful service, we have finished studying seven different kinds of fruit that the apostle Peter said that followers of Jesus Christ need to be diligent in growing in And then Peter provided for us two reasons to be diligent in growing in these various qualities. And he goes on to say in 2 Peter 
Chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he says this. I'll just go ahead and read it for you. He says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. In other words, a professing Christian who misses the virtues that are mentioned in that text is unable to deserve to discern his spiritual condition in Jesus Christ and absolutely has no assurance of his or her salvation. That's what Peter is saying. He says that we will be fruitful if we grow in these qualities, but if we are not growing at all, then we will be so nearsighted, so as to be blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. We've got to be discerning in this area. And if you don't have a clue about those things, well, I hope that this morning you would grow in your hope under the banner of the cross, particularly in this area. In this area. Listen, we want to be fruitful, right? We want to grow in our knowledge of who he is. We want to grow personally in our lives under the banner of the cross, Jesus promised his people that when he saves them, that they will most certainly bear fruit. We will bear fruit, some more so than others. And so I want to start off by saying that gifts are given by God to the church in order to be fruitful servants of God and to the building up of the body of Christ, that is you. We're building up one another under the banner of the cross. And the only way to do that is to understand what the Word of God teaches on this subject and to appropriate that truth in our lives. For our main passage, we're going to be spending time and we're going to be looking at the book of, uh, well, just let me just go ahead and read to you. I don't even remember if I have this in the, um, the PowerPoint, but I'll just go ahead and read it to you if you don't mind. You don't, you don't have to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. I'm just going to go ahead and read it for you. Let me just start off by saying this. It says, since we have gifts, right? Talk about us, the church. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Exercise your gifts accordingly. And then he says this, some interesting stuff. He says, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving or he, he who teaches in his teaching, or verse 8, he who exhorts in his exhortation or encouragement, he who gives with liberality, or he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, and it goes on to talk about some more stuff. That's just inter- introductory right now, okay? Introductory of what is to follow in terms of the spiritual gifts. This message today frames the next five sermons about specific spiritual gifts in the New Testament. In the New Testament, understanding spiritual gifts in the Bible, for instance, what is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? Not only that, but who gets the spiritual gift? Who gets said gift? When does a person receive spiritual gifts? We'll do the best I I can, the best we all can, Pastor Rod and Alfonso and the other pastors here at Faith Church, to answer those questions for you. How about what is the purpose behind spiritual gifts? What is the purpose behind spirituals? And are all the gifts mentioned in the New Testament still active today? Uh Uh-oh, that's debated, right? What are we to do? I'll do the best I can to entertain those questions for you. Perhaps, again, you're curious or you don't know, you've already come here with, from a different church that may believe something different. Perhaps you're more of a Pentecostal charismatic background, so certainly the, the idea of spiritual gifts and operation today may be different with how we, what we teach here. And so I'll do the best I can to persuade you in certain areas, okay? That's my job. I'll do the best I can. And any questions, comments, cries of outrage, shock, protests that you have, my email is rhutton. <laughs> At faithlafayette.org. <laughs> R. Hutton. <laughs> Typically, <laughs> we'll march through a series of verses, right? We do expository preaching here. Expository preaching will go, we'll march through verse by verse through a particular text uh, in a given passage and expound on some truths of, the, of what the scripture says. But this one is more of a broader topic, so it seems necessary to look to those 
broader passage of Scripture so that we can see the bigger picture of what is to follow. And so we start with the first question. The first question. Nothing controversial yet, okay? Nothing. But it's coming. Nothing controversial. First, what is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? Because Scripture teaches us in Ephesians, for instance, verses, uh, verse 8, chapter 4, it says, To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Stop there just really quick. That simply means that God has freely portioned out, right, portioned out or measured out grace gifts to his people. Simple enough? God has portioned out or measured out grace gifts to his people. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4 verse 8. Now, let's just the, the grace measured out to me, that's been given to me, that's been gifted to me, differs in degree to the grace measured out to you. My gift is different in degree than yours and yours to mine. That's why giftedness differs from person to person. Follow me so far? Giftedness differs from person to person. Let's just keep going. Therefore, it says, Ephesians 4, 8, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Interesting, because the apostle is quoting from Psalm 68. And if you know anything about Psalm 68, it's a psalm of victory. A victory written by King David. When the Lord led David into his victories, he received, as a result, the spoils of battle. And so Paul used that as an analogy to point to the greater reality of Christ having been victorious over sin and death in his earthly ministry, overcoming sin and the grave by rising from the dead, receiving the spiritual spoils of that victory, and then turning around and giving it to his people. Who are his people? Take a wild guess. I'm looking at you right now. Right? It was because of what Christ did on the cross that as a result of what he did, he freely, out of his love for his people, gives us spoils. Spoils of war. Spiritual gifts to his people. Now let's turn to a passage of Scripture that is one of the longer sections on spiritual gifts, which I think is a good place to start. Let's start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where we read the introductory of spiritual gifts in general. All he's giving is spiritual gifts in general, in the church, because there are true gifts and there are counterfeit gifts, because Satan loves to counterfeit everything that God does. True? Everything. Everything. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. Now there are... A variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. He goes on and he says there are a variety of, of effects, right? Meaning my gift differs from yours and yours to mine, and the effect is different. We could have the same spiritual gift, but the degree of it may be different. Yes? That's how God functions in the church. There are varieties of effects, but the same God works all things in all persons, but each one given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, but the, but the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, if you're still struggling with the question of what is a spiritual gift, I'm going to do the best I can. Allow me to try to help you with that. What is a spiritual gift? Let's start with a simple definition. The spiritual gift is a gift of grace, gifts of grace for God's glory granted by the Holy Spirit that are designed for the church's edification. You see that? Let's start by breaking down, breaking that down a little bit. I know I'm going a little bit fast only because I just got to squeeze some things in here and we can have communion. I'm going to do the best I can to be clear, but to be a little bit fast. Let's just break this down. A spiritual gift are gifts. They're free gifts. Remember, like Christmas, yes? They're, they're, it's not something that we've earned. 
Not something that you've worked for. When you received those Christmas presents, it wasn't something you worked for. It wasn't something that you've earned. Your parents worked hard for those gifts, and you have received the spoils of their labor, as it were. When you read the scriptures, when you see that persons have, have been, have, uh, in the scriptures are gifted in, in the Bible, you should see that it is by God's grace that they are gifted with something, some gift, not something that the person did, lest anyone should boast, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. Or to put it another way, God's grace is a gift to you as so, so is the faith he has been given, that's been given to you. He's, been give, he's given you the faith. He's given you grace. He's given you all things. He's given you gifts, in particular spiritual gifts, lest we assume that it has something to do with how amazing we are. Unless any of us have any contention in our hearts about this, I want to remind you of what 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says. It says this by the apostle, what do you have that you didn't receive? Right? And then if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so when it comes to gifts, they're gifts. They're gifts. He gets the praise by the giving of gifts to his people. And as a result of those gifts, the church is built up and God is glorified in and through his people. Yes and amen. We shouldn't be boasting because those gifts are given to us by his grace, by his grace. Now, on to the next question. Who gets spiritual gifts? Who gets Spiritual gifts, because in Romans chapter 12, it says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we are to exercise them accordingly. Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure. It's measured out according to the measure of Christ's gift. In 1 Peter 4, 10, it says, as each one has received a special gift Employ it in the service, in the serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so, who gets the spiritual gift or who gets spiritual gifts? The answer is everybody. Every single believer in particular. Believers get spiritual gifts. Everyone in this room who names the name of Christ and you've truly been saved. God had bestowed on you a spiritual gift or gifts. Now, how that's measured out and how that's proportioned, I mean, I don't know. That, that's all in the Lord's purview. I don't know how he does that. All I know and all we know is that he proportions it out and measures it out in the church to his people. And if you don't know what your gift is, how do you come to know what it is? And the answer is, I would say this, just start by serving. <laughs> Don't be shy. Just start by serving. Just figure it out. Serve, and you will come to find out where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. That's where it all begins. You may find that you may excel in said area over against other areas, and you may really enjoy it, and you're energized by what you do over against other people. Thirdly, Others will confirm what your giftedness is. And just, just walk through that. When you are starting to consider um, what your spiritual gift of the Spirit is, some of it will be trial and error. For me, it was trial and error. For many of us, it's trial and error. Some aspects of church ministry I was simply awful at, starting at, starting out. In every conceivable sense. But over time, through serving, God's people began to confirm my giftedness. God's people will begin to confirm your giftedness. Just start serving. Just start serving. Just be faithful. And as you do that, there will be things that you find yourself doing that you're just good at. Even if it's not natural, it will be something that you enjoy doing and you are improving in doing and you're excelling in doing. Just be faithful. Don't, don't think or get sad because for whatever reason you're, 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 you're having a hard time here. Just Keep serving. Because no matter what church you go to, you got to serve at a church. So you got to do something, right? Pretty simple. I believe that by the grace of God, my giftedness lay primarily in the area of encouragement. Of encouragement. I love to encourage people. 
or exhortation. Some have even said hospitality. I mean, I, I may, I, I, again, I don't know how the Lord proportions all that out, but I think that's probably the area. I believe that that area, encouragement, exhortation, is where my strength is. Don't ask me to organize anything. Don't. Do not. It will be like doomsday. Do not ask me. It is very difficult for me. I try and try and try, and some other people who are gifted in that particular just excel. I'm just like scratching my head. How in the world? And they're just wired a certain way, and they can do it because why? Because that's how God has wired them, gifted them in that particular area. And so that's okay, right? That's okay. If, you're, if you believe that you may be a gifted teacher and you want to teach, but everyone is more confused after you train, it's probably not the, your area of giftedness, right? Probably not. But if you teach and you keep doing it and you, uh, you have a clarity about you and you're thoughtful and, you're, 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 and you excel in that area and you're, it might be a very good indication that that's where you are gifted in and you should pursue that area with diligence and hard work growing in that spiritual gift. I remember helping out with a church plant in California and I was asked to lead worship, so I did. And after one year, I never wanted to do it again. <laughs> I never wanted to do it again. And I realized it just wasn't my forte. It wasn't my forte. I knew that I wasn't gifted in that area of leadership, an administrative area, and perhaps God's people would have agreed with that assessment too. But that's okay, trial and error. In other words, your giftedness must be affirmed, but it can only happen within the confines of the church, which means you need to be faithful in going to church. You need to be faithful in going to church. And the next thing, the next thing that we need to consider is this. If we all have spiritual gifts and we know what they are, when does a person receive their spiritual gift? When does a person receive it? Well, how about we look at some passages of scriptures, for instance, in 1 Peter 4, 10, it says, each one who has received a special gift, employ it in the serving of one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's one indicator, right? And then it says this, but the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he will. I'll give you the answer in a little bit, but I'm trying to draw these truths out. In Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, and then it gives you the list of those spiritual gifts. And so when you take those passages of Scripture and you put them all together, the answer is clear. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, at that moment of salvation, at that moment a person believes in Jesus Christ, trusts in Jesus Christ, and receives the Holy Spirit in that very instant, that's when you get your gift. It doesn't come after. It's not a second work of grace or anything like that. It's the Holy Spirit who distributes, proportions, energizes his gifts, the service of God's people, the church. If you've trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then the Spirit will immediately take residence in your life forever, and you will have received at least one spiritual gift. And you receive that at the moment of your spiritual birth. And for those who may be here, perhaps who have yet to surrender your heart over to Christ, I say this to you in Romans Chapter 8, it says this, but if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, those are unbelievers, right? He does not belong to him. In other words, you don't belong to Christ yet. If anyone does not have the Spirit, he does not belong to him. Those who have the Spirit instantly receive and have those gifts. And so the question for you is, do you want to belong to Christ do you want to belong to Christ? Do you want to surrender your heart over to Christ? And if the answer is yes, then all you got to do is repent of your sins and turn to Christ by faith alone, and he will grant you immediately the gift of salvation and the spoils of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And one of the spoils you get is the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and he grants you a spiritual gift according to his will. But the truth is, God did not have to do this for us at all. God didn't have to, to gift his church any more than he already did. But he did do that 
not only, did, not only to ensure that you have salvation, but he wanted you to have his spoils. He wanted you to have his gifts. If that, if that is not a display of the love of God in Christ, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. How about something else here? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Let's roll through this. Well, it's to build up the body, right? It builds up the body. You are the body. You are the spiritual body, the local church, the universal church. You are the spiritual body. It says right here in Ephesians 4, for the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? Who are literally the set-apart ones? That's what a saint means. Who are the set-apart ones? You are. You are set apart upon salvation for God's service. And in order to do that particular service, he gives you a particular gift in order for you to serve in the body of Christ, not outside of it. This is a, that building up really is a, is a metaphor. It's a metaphor that's used to describe the church as a building that is being built. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for instance, where Paul refers to the laying of a foundation, he calls that, he says the laying, laying of a foundation as a wise builder. There's the metaphor. And one of the best ways to understand so much of the ministry of the church is to think about it through the lens of a building. When you're in a small group, are you in a small group? And I hope that you're who you are. What is happening in your small group? Well, you're trying to build one another up. You get to know one another. You rub shoulders with one another. You start sharing your hearts with one another. Your struggles, your joys. There's even Bible study. You look through passages of Scripture and you grow little by little, here a little, there a little. That's what Isaiah says. Here a little, there a little. And the overflow of the word of God from the pulpit is another aspect of God's word being preached by those individuals God has gifted for the building up of the body. So then gifts are given to the church to build up God's people. All of us are responsible for that. Building up God's people, to strengthen God's people, to edify God's people. Dare I ask that when you consider your grace gifts given to you from above, are you employing them or using them to build up the body? Are you using them? You can't be using them if you're not attending church. You can't be using them if you're not attending church, being faithful or serving. You can't be using them. It's, those gifts are not for you. They're for others in the service to the body of Christ. You see? Because the sole purpose for God having granted you those gifts is to bring unity, right? To bring unity to the church. Why? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. That's the reason why. It mature, it, the, we, we are matured and growing in the church to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ are all the spiritual gifts mentioned. That's another one, right? Are all the spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament active today? You can get your tomatoes out. <laughs> hint, hint. I'll get to that in a second. Christ promised that he would give unity to the church. Let's start with that first. He gave us peace with God and peace with each other. And part of the way that unity is given to the church is by using our gifts to serve one another. When the world looks at the church today, does it see a kind of living kingdom community that is an otherworldly experience? Is that what they see? I mean, they should see white-collar workers and blue-collar workers attending. They just see people from every tribe, people and tongue. Is that what the outside world sees? Because they should see that. They should see that. Do they see a kind of spiritual community that embodies unity? I'm not talking about the unity. I'm not talking about unity for the sake of peace, right? That's a sentimental kind of community that's out there in the world. I'm not talking about that kind of peace where you overlook the truth, of the gospel. I'm talking about the kind of unity centered in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we love people, but we love within the confines of the truth. That's unity. Lastly, here we go. Are all, (laughs) oh boy, here we go. Are all spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament active today? (laughs) What I'm about to say, for some in this room will either be... You might be confused, or you may simply disagree for a number of reasons, perhaps. 
Perhaps you had a previous church background that was different from what you are about to hear. And so I can understand why this may be a challenge to what you may have been formally taught. But let me first start off by saying that these disagreements that I'm about to talk about are not dependent upon salvation. For instance, if you want to be a member of faith church, you have to believe certain doctrinal truths. You have to believe certain doctrinal truths that are of first importance, and you have to live a certain way. For instance, if, if, you, have, if you have to believe that it is by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, that you are saved. That's primary, okay? There are certain truths that are central to the Christian faith, and you have to hold to those central truths. And there are other things that if you choose to believe, you can't be a part of this church for a number of reasons. For instance, you can't believe that you need to pray to Mary, right? Or the, the, the earthly mother of Christ for the remission of your sins. You can't believe in Allah, right? You cannot believe that all religions lead to heaven and that you just chose to believe in Christianity, right? But it doesn't matter, or that it doesn't matter if you're a Muslim or a Hindu. What matters is what is true to you. No, that's not going to fly here. It's not going to fly here. In order for you to be a member of the community of the redeemed, you have to believe certain doctrinal truths and then other things you can't believe at all. You have to live a certain way as well. I know, again, this is not perfection of our lives, but the direction of our lives. I make mistakes, some more so than others. You make mistakes, some more, than, some more, some, more so than others. There are sins. We can bounce back from those things. But you've got to live a certain way. You can't take the view of sin, well, as long as I ask for forgiveness, then it's okay, and what I do or how I live doesn't matter. Now, I say all of that as a preface to say that when it comes to how we are going to answer this question. This is a thing that you can believe differently than how I will answer the question and to some degree, even act differently and still be a member here at this church. So if you find yourself disagreeing with me and, and the formal position that faith has, okay, you can hold to a different belief provided that you are not divisive about holding that particular but my goal is to try to persuade you what the scripture says about certain gifts being in operation and others not being in operation today. Hint, hint, again, you have an idea of what I'm about to say. So here goes my persuasion. Ready? Here we go. Authentic gifts and edifying gifts. Authentic, authenticating gifts is a different. We, I'm just trying to categorize these things so that it makes sense. There's authenticating gifts and edifying gifts. Now, what do I mean by that? What do we mean by that? In order to understand that, I, again, I got to categorize God's, this is focus here. I have to categorize God's operation throughout redemptive history, okay? So I need you to pay attention. Put your theological hats on, all right? Throughout God's redemptive history, and you can check this and see for yourself. I'm asking you to be Bereans, okay? Throughout God's biblical redemptive history, lay what many have observed as miracle ages by which God was routinely performing the miraculous. These three periods of time were Moses to Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Jesus and the apostles. Each of these three periods of time cover approximately 100 or perhaps 150 years by which God was doing the miraculous. They, and by which God was routinely performing the miraculous continuously. And so now at this point you may ask, are you saying that miracles are not routine or the norm? And I'm saying that's exactly what I'm saying today. They're not routine they are not the norm today. Follow me. Don't turn your ears off. Don't just, just listen to what I'm going to say. Follow what I'm going to say here. You say, isn't that putting God in a box? Right? I'm not putting God in a box. Again, I am recognizing and categorizing God's operation throughout biblical history, throughout redemptive history. That doesn't mean, listen to me, that doesn't mean 
that he stopped doing miracles or that he stopped interjecting himself in human history. All I'm saying is that miracles are not routine, continuous. They're not the norm. In contrast to those three miracle ages, which were the norm. You see the difference? It's one thing for God to do a miracle today. But the question is, are they routine today? That's the question that I'm trying to answer for you here. To get to the point of certain spiritual gifts. God's work today in the church age lay primarily in the area of providence. That is that is routine. That's normal. Ephesians 1.11 says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's always working day by day, by and by, normally, routinely, in and through the lives of his people today in the church age. That's what he's doing today. Yes, I believe God still performs the miraculous, but there are no authenticating, listen to me, there are no authenticating, miraculously gifted, uniquely gifted men. See the difference? such as the apostles today. There are no apostles today, is what I mean. There are no miraculously gifted apostles, no miraculously gifted office of prophets walking around today. Those men were granted unique, supernatural, authenticating gifts for a season and then disappeared for a reason, which I will explain soon, okay? These are only theological snapshots. It's not intended to be exhaustive. I'm just giving you the big picture here. Let's look at the first miracle age, beginning with Moses and the Exodus. Look at the first miracle age, beginning with Moses and the Exodus. How, listen to me, how did Moses convince everyone that he was truly speaking for God? How did he do that? You know the answer. He was confirmed or authenticated when he performed miracles that were meant to show that he was speaking on behalf of God. And what did the Old Testament call those things, signs and wonders. You see that phrase in the Old Testament, signs and wonders. Deuteronomy 29, 20, uh, 29 verses 2 and 3 says this, And Moses summoned Israel. Listen to this. Look at this first miracle age. You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and all in the land and the great trials which your eyes have seen, and note this, those great signs and wonders. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, it says this, Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Note, here's the purpose, that's the purpose clause, for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent to him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and all in the land. You see that? No one performed the kind of miracles that Moses did because it was a particularly unique era of time. Let's look, about, let's look at the second miracle age. The second miracle age with Elijah and Elisha. You remember that story, right? What happened with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. What did Elijah say in his prayer? Again, these are just snapshots. Snapshots. So this is right here. At the time of the evening offering, of the, even, of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back again. Then guess what happened? Then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and worshipped the Lord. He is God. Yahweh, he is God. You see that? They knew. At that point, through the confirming signs and wonder who Elijah the prophet was. The point is, often the prophets who spoke for God had a confirming sign to authenticate what they were doing. To put it simply, the purpose of the signs and the wonders and the miracles were to authenticate the message that was delivered because scripture hadn't been written yet. So how in the world are you going to go ahead and authenticate the real messengers of God from those who are false? You needed Signs and wonders. You needed it. The point. That was the point. 
The purpose of signs and wonders and miracles were to authenticate the message that was being delivered. And after these two eras, listen to me, after these two er these eras, miracles, signs, and wonders literally just drop from the pages of Scripture. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have that vast period of time called the 400-year period of silence. No prophets, no signs, no wonders, no writing of Scripture, nothing. It is completely silent. In between those three areas of history, it was just completely silence. And you don't see that kind of phenomenon again until, guess who comes? Christ. When the arrival of the Christ came, and after he was baptized, miracles began to be in abundance. The miracle age had begun again. I mean, he practically healed all of Palestine, for goodness sakes. You could not question that he was a man sent from God. Remember John 3? No one does these things. No one can do these signs unless God were what? With him. Right? You don't see the phenomenon again. All of a sudden, it just explodes on the pages of redemptive history, which far exceeded those two areas, eras, in, in so far as the abundance of miracles performed. I mean, think about it. That's why John could say this. Many other what? Signs, right? Literally miracles, right? Powers. Many other signs, miracles, powers. Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written. These signs, these have been written. So what? So that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Do you see there's a purpose God in his design has purposed these miracles, these signs and wonders for a reason. For a reason. And I hope I don't get bit by saying this, but there are a number of charismatic Pentecostal churches that, get, that miss the point of Jesus' healing ministry. They get it completely wrong. Jesus did miraculously heal a lot of people, but his purpose in doing so was to confirm who he was. To confirm who that the apostles were messengers of Jesus Christ. That's why you see them performing these unusual miracles in the New Testament, these rags, and all of a sudden they're touching rags. That was a unique purpose in doing those things, to confirm the messenger. Once Christ and these miraculous men left the scene, they're followed just follow the book of Acts from chapter 1 all the way to the end. You see the abundance of miracles in the beginning, and at the end of the book of Acts, it's very little. It's very little. Once Christ and these miraculous men left the scene, there followed a cessation. A cessation, as it were, of the miraculous age, such that miracles are no longer common, no longer routine, no longer the norm. Even the Apostle Paul understood that. That the miraculously gifted men in the church, along with their office, it's an office, was not something routine for the church age. That's why. That's why he could say, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, he says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you. He uses that. And in the Greek, it's the past tense. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance. How? By signs and wonders and miracles. You see that? Already, the apostle was talking about these things in past tense. For instance, in the New Testament, when Timothy got sick, Paul couldn't heal him but told him to take some wine for his ailing ills, for his stomach. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. When Trophimus, if you know who Trophimus is, Trophimus was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. He had gotten sick, so sick that the apostle Paul couldn't use him for a time, and so he left him in Miletus to, to, to recover from his sickness. The apostle didn't heal him. You think that Paul would, would have miraculously healed him, but that's not what happened at all. But the point is that, that the miracles, the powers, were not an everyday occurrence. So, so for the sake of time, this is, I'm just waiting for a tomato. I got to move on. But the, again, this is just a snapshot. There's a second category of giftedness used for edification, the building up of the body, all right? So for those of you who like charts, praise God, here they are. This, perhaps this will help you. Authenticating gifts, for instance, prophecy, healing, Working of miracles, gifts of tongues, or interpretation of tongues. And then you have the gifts that remain today. We call those or categorize them as edifying gifts. Teaching, exhortation, or encouragement, giving, leadership, and so forth 
and so forth. Mercy, serving, administration, wisdom, knowledge, gift of faith, discerning of spirits, and those sorts of gifts there. I mean, again, these are just, note that the chart, these are just some major references in the New Testament. It's not an an exhaustive list. They're simply verses with reference to the gifts themselves with no examples. It's a representative list on what theologians or scholars agree on as the gifts in the church. But when we get into that, or the more controversial area, it will be toward the end, so that I can run away and hide. Again, the email is rhutton. <laughs> I'm just joking. I think I've already passed through the, the more controversial area there. But let me just say this. Authenticating gifts were necessary until the completion of the Scripture, but no longer. Remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm just going to go off the top of my head. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues or languages, actual languages, not gibberish. If there are languages, they will, be, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. And so what's, what's, if anything, a snapshot, what's the big picture there? For lack of time. Not all spiritual gifts are active today because we have the completed scriptures. In other words, the office, I'm talking about the office, the office of prophets, the office of apostles, along with their authenticating sign gifts ceased in the apostolic era because their mission was complete in that we now have God's special revelation. It's complete special revelation. That is God's word. And if that doesn't still yet convince you, understand, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, historically, that God, after he spoke long ago, to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. What does that look like? Visions, dreams, all that sorts of stuff. In many portions and in many ways. In these last days, <coughs> he has spoken to us in his son. In other words, once the fullness of time had come, no more prophets in this era. I'm talking about the church age. No more apostles in this era. No more visions or dreams in this era because the word of the Son, the word of God, is the superlative, is the complete special revelation from God to man. It's the scripture, it's the scripture, it's the most complete revelation that you will ever have. Unless you want to argue that you yourself are a prophet like Moses or Elijah or Jesus or the apostles. I mean, do you really want to argue that? And there are some, again, churches that claim that. Apostolic. There's a reason why there are apostolic churches, right? Today, apostolic. Well, I would argue that we would differ with them in a number of ways. But if you hear a story of someone being miraculously cured of cancer and there's no medical explanation, that doesn't go against what we teach here at all. All I'm saying is that the gift of miraculously gifted men with those sign gifts mentioned in the chart as we've seen in the early days of the church no longer exist. You see the difference? There's a difference between saying, I believe in miraculous gifts, the miraculous happens today, but I don't believe there are miraculously gifted men today. You see the difference? It does not exist because of the reasons that I have stated previously. Now, I'm coming to a close. There will be a future miracle age to come. So you ask, well, what is that? All you have to do is read the book of what? Revelation. Just read the book of Revelation. When the apostle sees Jesus, the vision of Jesus, Jesus says, I want you to write the things which are past, meaning the visions that he saw, the things which are the church age, and the things which will take place after these things. What after what things? After the church age. Which means, well, we are in presently right now, Revelation chapter 3. Presently, right now. Revelation 3 is the church age. What about Revelation 4 through 20? That's the miracle age. That is when Christ begins to unfold on planet earth. The seven-year tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, and also the coming of the great King Messiah, Jesus Christ. And when the King comes, you will see him in all his glory and all those miracles, right? 
You will see in the book of Revelation, all of those things unfold. But we are not in that age. We're in the church age, which is very different. Do you see the difference? So we've said it before, but let me, let's remember in closing, before communion, that the goal of the gifts is to build and to encourage. And the question is, are you doing that? Are you doing that? If you're not, I would encourage you to take time to consider, what is my gift? All right? What's my gift in this? Where is it? And how am I using that gift in the church? And if you're not using your gifts to serve in the church, to serve fellow Christians, then you are living in contrary to how God wants you to live. You got to be faithful. You are absolutely and uniquely gifted. How? Let me give you this quote from MacArthur and we will close and transition into communion. Listen to what MacArthur says here. He says, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to all Christians. That he gives a variety of gifts and that every gift is as spiritual and important as any other. We should not envy those who seem to be greatly gifted. Our concern should be to discover, to faithfully use, and to be grateful for the gift the Lord has given to us. God makes no mistakes. His gifts to us are the best possible ones he could give us for doing what he wants us to do. Not only is every believer gifted, but every believer is perfectly gifted. No child in the world could substitute for one of our own children. No matter how many children we might have, none could ever be replaceable. Neither are God's children replaceable or the ministries he has given them replaceable. No other believer could take, place in God, could take our place in God's heart, and no other believer can take place in God's work. He has given no one the exact gift he has given us. If we do not use our gift, no one else will. If we do not fulfill our ministry... It will not be fulfilled. You see that in closing? In other words, if you're not serving here at Faith Church or even any other church, that ministry can't be fulfilled because you're uniquely designed to fulfill that particular task. I cannot fulfill it. I cannot fulfill it for you. That's why we always say we need help, we need help, we need help, we need help. (laughs) We need help at the Hartford Hub. We need help upstairs. We need help. Imagine if everyone in this room who has a gift used it in and for the glory of the Lord. Oh my goodness, what the world would see. (laughs) What the world would see. And so as you reflect on the gospel and communion this morning, let's ask the Lord on how you may need to grow in using your gifts to the glory of his name. Lord, help us to deploy the use of your gifts for the glory of your great name. Because that's all that we desire, I pray. And that's all that we would hope for and want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.